Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, in episode 57, we talked about foster care and adoption. This conversation is so important that I figured we should follow up with our year-end roundtable and discuss it further. Today, we're adding some new voices to the conversation, so some new perspectives are here, which is what we make sure to do on this podcast. This topic is not at the forefront, but it really should be, so let's lean into it a little bit. Would you rather serve God than serve Caesar, you know me? Darren, my friend, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Craig. Glad to be here again. How are you doing, man? You were you were in that episode fifty seven where we talked about this, and the, you know that episode really kind of we got messages from folks thanking us for doing it. You know, like and I told you in that last time when we recorded, you were the ones that reached out to us to even try to talk about this a little bit, and so we did it. And I, and we've had even recently folks have been messaging us and about it. So it's still people are still listening to it. I think that's pretty cool that it's been so well received. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It was uh, it was fun to do the episode. I was glad to get the conversation started a little bit, and also had a few people from church who I wouldn't normally suspect to be listening to things in in our uh, little area of the world, if you want to call it that. That, that said, yeah, they listened to it and thought it, thought it was a really good episode and enjoyed it a lot. So. If you can just get past the host, that guy kind of gets on every people's nerves. <laughs> you get get around him a little bit, then then you can actually listen to a pretty good podcast if you just. Tune him out a little bit. <laughs> well, I've got my own issues, so <laughs> <laughs> good. I don't feel I don't feel alone then. <laughs> Today, we also have a couple new voices on the show. In who was in that episode fifty seven was going to join us, but he had something come up; he could not uh, participate. So uh, Jessica and uh, Amber join us as well. Jessica, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? You know, kind of whatever you want us to know about you. Give us a little background, and then uh, we'll talk to Amber as well. Well, I am in deep southeast Texas, and I have uh, eight kids, three of which I adopted from Ukraine back in uh, 2011. And I'm a chiropractic assistant, and I went from being a homeschool mom to slowly my kids have transitioned into public school. My oldest is grown, and he's a welder now, and um you know, I just stay busy with the other ones. They're all in school. You can't really tell by listening to Jessica talk, but she is in deep South Texas. So she doesn't really have the accent to go along with it. But if you can't, <laughs> just so we know, she does not sound anything <laughs> like a young. I had it. <laughs> Her accent is the, like I get accused all the time of, because you can, people are like, you're from Texas, aren't you? <laughs> and I've only said a couple words to them. I'm like, yeah, but West Texas. Yeah, we can tell from West Texas. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know if, that, if that's a good thing or bad, you know, what they think about. Well, when I lived in Arkansas, a lot of folks, for something with the, the rivalry between Arkansas and Texas back in the old Southwest Conference days, Arkansas has got this little man syndrome where they think they got to be bigger than everybody. And so they had this rivalry with Texas. And I, I, I tried to explain to these folks when we moved. I was like, and I'm not a Texas Longhorn fan by any means, any stretch of the imagination. I can't stand that school. But 
I try to explain to him, I said, you do understand that the, the Texas Longhorns do not care about the Arkansas Razorbacks. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even think about y'all. And you, that's how you get under some Arkansas Razorbacks uh, fan skin. And I'm a big Razorback fan, but I'm being from Texas, so I can look at it and make fun of everybody. Amber, um, this is your first time on the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as well? Sure. I'm Amber Nelson. I'm a uh, music teacher in a public school. I know that'll make some of your listeners gasp a little, but um, I have three boys that are nearly grown. They're 22, 19, and 16, and um, I'm a musician besides that. And what else do you want to know? Well, I mean, I guess we could ask you to start singing. I mean, if you, if you have something ready. To... I've always got something ready, but I don't sing for free. <laughs> oh, you don't sing for free. Dang it. No, sir. All right. So, folks, send us a little bit of money if y'all want to hear Amber uh, <laughs> sing. Let's just do that. Not a problem. <laughs> All right. So, Darren, let's just, let, let, let me start with you and just kind of as a refresher for folks who may have not heard episode 57. You know, maybe update us from then, you know, if anything's changed. I think there's been some some changes in your life since we recorded that, which is pretty cool changes, right? So why don't you just kind of just start where how you how you guys got involved with, with the adoption uh system and 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 what has happened since then because he's he's really got a pretty cool story that I've he's talked about on social media about a little bit. So let's start there and see where we go. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just to kind of do a quick summary, uh, we've, I've got uh, two fully adopted daughters, a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old, and then we're currently fostering three others, uh, an 8-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a not-quite-3-year-old at this point. When they first came into our care, the almost 3-year-old was not born yet. I'll call them Sprout and Bubba and Baby Squeakers is what we kind of nicknamed them. Um, although she's the littlest one, we've changed to Boss Baby because she makes herself known pretty well. But uh, yeah, so they came into care. Um, we got into the foster care this time mainly to do true foster care, whereas the previous time we did it uh, with the intention of adopting. Figured this time around we would stay focused on foster care at this point and see see how the Lord led, that kind of thing, what what opportunities presented themselves. And we got our license on a Friday, and that next Monday we got the call saying there's four kids. If we can take two of them, that'd be great. If we can take all four, that'd be even better, that kind of thing. And we said, well, we can take two at the time, and then that turned into three. So um, that was before the COVID lockdowns and all that mess started. So we had the kids in foster care trying to do visits and everything else through all of the lockdowns, doing virtual visits, and you can just about imagine how much of a disaster those are, trying to do virtual visits with small kids and keep their attention and everything else. But anyway, where we are at now is the rights have been terminated on the birth parents. They have appealed that decision, and we are waiting for that appeal to be processed or heard, all we've been given to understand is that uh, we will not be a part of that process, but it is a very low percentage of those appeals that actually do get the decisions overturned because they're usually trying to appeal certain specific aspects of the case. They can't just do a blanket appeal and say, I appeal that decision. No, you have to have specific points that you're trying to appeal, and those usually are pretty few and far between, like I said, that actually go to overturn anything. So 
we're basically just waiting for the process to work itself through, um, and then we'll plan to adopt the three, and we'll see where things go from there. Maybe add another seven, <laughs> make, it, make it an even ten. <laughs> Listen to what you were saying, and this is this is this topic is is interesting to me because of the way the the way we as in the circles that we all four run around in, you know, with the with the Christian side of it, the anarchist side of it, and then listening to you talk about their rights being terminated. When I hear that, I don't know, I don't want this to sound bad, but it's a little cringy to me when I hear that, because I wonder sometimes if the state getting involved with this stuff is not a good thing. But maybe I'll just get y'all's opinion on this, like terminating the, the rights of the parents, you know, to these children. I mean, I get it. If they're, if they're in a bad situation, they need to be in a better situation. I get it. I just, I, I wonder sometimes if, actually, I don't wonder. I, I think that, you know, going through the state can make it worse. I've heard of folks who will adopt kids as well because they they get a, make a certain amount of money a month for having these children. And that's why they're doing it. And they, these kids might be put in a worse situation just for that reason. And so, I don't know, man. How do y'all feel about that? What do y'all... Darren, let's just start with you. How do you feel about that when it comes to the state getting involved with this? I understand that this is what we have right now. I mean, I, under, I understand that side of it. So this is where we're at now. But I also believe that if the church was taking the lead on this, you know, we we, we could do this much better and, you know, do like Jesus instructed us to do, to take care of the widows and the orphans, right? So I'm just knowing you the way I know you. To me, I feel like there's something about this that doesn't sit right with you as well. Yeah, that you are absolutely correct in that. I am in a lot of things. I am almost a completely a collapsitarian. I'd like to bring it all down and start over, with the exception of foster care and things of that nature. Because I know, as as horrible as some of the stories are that you hear going around, as far as kids being taken out away from parents and stuff, I know that goes on. But I also know the situation, for example, of, of the kids that we have in our care right now. I know the situation they came out of. And as much as I hate to say it, the, it was the right decision to remove them from their care, at least temporarily, to try to figure out what's, what's, what was going on. I mean, I won't get into the details of our case, but just in generally speaking, I know there are instances like that. And so something has to be done. It, and like you said, it is the system that we have now. And where, where I fall in it is the systems, the system's going to exist. It exists now. It's going to exist. I want Christ following parents to be involved, to give places for these kids to land, for them to be cared for. And that's, that's the bottom line of where, where I fall on that. If you can fast forward, if we can bring the whole system down and start from scratch or whatever, I would love to see this done but more by the church. I think it could be done infinite orders of magnitude better than the state's doing it now. But unfortunately, we don't have that system set up right now. So I think it would be more of an incremental thing for me as far as the way it should be done to phase it out. Which is really just just kind of disappointing to me too. Cause I, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer that if the church was actually doing what Jesus instructed us to do, the state would become obsolete anyway. Yep. You know, I, I, I call myself a collapsitarian as well, man. I just let it fall. I mean, at this point, let it fall. We'll just, we'll figure this out as we go. Cause we, as if we were to taking the lead and following the teachings of Christ, and like I said, the state would become obsolete and we, we would take care of this like we were instructed to. 
I think I had a real problem with the church kind of outsourcing the stuff Jesus commanded us to do. They're outsourcing it to the state. Amber, you look like you have something to say. Yeah, you talk about widows and orphans, but in the case of foster care, it's it's a lot more than widows and orphans. It's like children of addicts, children of people with psychological problems. And, you know, the who's equipped to deal with that? You know, who's equipped to deal with all of those problems as far as like getting the kids safe? That's the number one priority. And it's kind of a band-aid or a first aid measure. But I, I agree. Um that there should be more Christians ready to give them a place to land when they fall. And I've heard of, a f- you know, you see these cases of, well, they took the kid away from the parent because they weren't making the medical decision the doctors thought they should make. I have seen as a school teacher way more the opposite. You hotline the kid, nothing happens. You hotline the kid, nothing happens. Kids coming to school in first grade, and physically attacking the teachers and other students, you hotline the kid, nothing happens. So it's it's because the caseworkers and everybody's so overworked and overwhelmed. Well, let me ask you something to, for my own ignorance. What do you mean when you hotline a kid? What is that? Because I, like I said, I'm, I told you all before we started recording, I'm so ignorant to this topic because I don't have children of my own. Sure. So anyone can hotline a kid if they suspect they're being abused or neglected. You call your local DCFS, Department of Family Services chapter, and there's like, you can just Google the number and it's an 800 number. Um, As a school teacher, I'm a mandated reporter. So if I suspect a kid has been abused or neglected, I am obligated, contractually obligated by the state of Missouri to report that. Like as soon as it happens, like I have to get somebody to watch my class and go do it right then. So when you say hotline a kid, you're talking about just somebody reporting. Okay. Yeah. Basically reporting that you think they're being abused. And in Missouri, you're not allowed to do it anonymously. Oh, really? Interesting. That seems like that could get into the, into the weeds of some stuff too. I mean, if you're. That's something that has happened since I was a foster parent. So in the last nine years. Huh that it's went to where you can't be anonymous in Missouri. That does, that seems a little strange to me. <laughs> I think it's supposed to cut down on like, um, say like if you get mad at your neighbor and then you want to hotline their kids cause you're mad cause they, you know, whatever. Didn't mow their grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't cut the, turn their bushes. I think that's meant to, that's what the, the thought process was behind that, but who knows it's government. So Jessica, what about you? How do you, you know, your, your three kids were from Ukraine, but how do you see that with the state getting involved with this stuff? Well, I guess I kind of have mixed feelings on it, really, um, because it does seem like, like as Amber mentioned, the, the real cases where things are really happening and really get reported, somehow that seems to fall through the cracks. But I know coming from my background, I'm a second generation homeschooler. So I was homeschooled. And back when I started homeschooling uh, or my mom started homeschooling me, um, this was like mid 80s. And there was no laws against it or but there was also no laws protecting it. So it was kind of like a little scary um, as to, you know, how your particular area was going to enforce, you know, possibly any anything regarding homeschooling. So I guess that has always made me a little wary. And then I come along and I start homeschooling my kids and I start making kind of some different decisions, uh, you know, 
uh, not vaccinating and other things like that, that you feel kind of put you on a radar. Um, and so I lived with a little bit of background fear of someone reporting something and coming in and having my kids taken um, because it just seems like the, the real cases slip through the cracks and then the cases of pushing an agenda um, and trying to force maybe parents to conform to a certain uh, state norm. Um, I, I, so I kind of lived in the fear of that. Not bad enough to stop me from, you know, making any decisions that I thought were best for my kids. Um, I guess that's that's my take on it. I mean, let me ask you something. This your situation is so interesting to me because you you adopted kids, you know, in Ukraine instead of going through the system here. And I'm kind of curious how that came about. Um, how did you get involved with that? I'm just 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 kind of for my own curiosity, maybe the listener as well. I guess uh, since the birth of my oldest child. Um, well, I guess all along adoption, being open to adoption was kind of uh, something that was on my radar. Um, I never intended to have as many kids as I have. Um, you know, I thought maybe <laughs> like two uh, when I was older, you know, like having kids was just not something that I just had a strong desire to do. And so I thought, well, if I ever did, I was totally open to adopting. Um, but I ended up having my oldest child. And when he was born, I immediately, like God opened my heart to adoption. I just knew holding him in the hospital, I wanted to adopt because I knew that I would do anything in this world to protect him um, and love him. And I, I just, my heart kind of broke at the same time to think that not every child has that. That's when those initial seeds of wanting to adopt started to grow. But fast forward several children later, um, and my husband was just not open to that at all. So I kind of just let that let that dream die, I guess, and just put it in the Lord's hands. And then I came across a blog. I don't even remember how I came across reading this woman's blog about her experience adopting two little girls with Down syndrome uh, from Ukraine. When she showed pictures and she just blogged her whole story and it just broke my heart learning about um, the conditions that a lot of these orphans, especially with special needs, uh, live in over in Eastern Europe. So like Russia, Bulgaria, Ukraine, um, you know, all those areas, orphans with special needs, they still have uh, the society still is coming out of that Soviet mindset of people with any kind of special needs or disabilities are really looked down on as kind of like the trash or the the you know, they're just discarded, you know, the, the orphanages in Ukraine vary in the treatment of, uh, how, depending on how the director manages their orphanage, you could have an orphanage with really horrific conditions because they just don't care, or you can have an orphanage with good conditions, but kind of across the board, the orphans with special needs, which is a lot of them, fall through the cracks in that a lot of them are tied in their beds. They're fed, not even solid food, you know, maybe ever. Um, and so that's how special needs adoption got on my radar and my husband too. So my uncle has Down syndrome. I've grown up around special needs my entire life. My, my grandparents opened and ran a an organization for adults with special needs. So like as they aged out of the school system, they had somewhere to go. 
Um, and so there's, that's how I'd spent my life. So when I knew that there was children with Down syndrome living in these conditions, uh, it was just like a no brainer, you know, that that's that's where my heart was. So that I came across an organization called Reese's Rainbow that is not an adoption um organization they're just facilitators because in Ukraine you don't have to necessarily go through an adoption agency you can use facilitators and so that's what we did we hired facilitators to be the go between between us and you know but the Ukrainian government you know the the state there it's interesting that's that's i mean I'm proud of you, Jessica. I mean, you, we, like I said, we've been we've been friends for a little bit now, you know, just meeting through the interwebs and stuff. But I'm, I'm, you got a big heart, and I'm very proud of you for the, the stuff. Just that's pretty cool. We need more of that. <laughs> I'm not. I don't think I'm equipped to adopt a bunch of kids, but <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think most of us aren't. I never would have put myself in the category of somebody that would have been equipped oh. <laughs> to adopt. And I definitely never would have put myself in the category of somebody that would be equipped to have eight children. But, you know, God's good and merciful and graceful. So here we are. Jessica adopts kids like I do cats. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> She's got me beat. So. Hey, folks, Craig here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, and send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. All right, so something that we, we were setting us up in our, our, you know, in the private messaging. Y'all, we, everybody's familiar with the Roe v. Wade stuff that went down, and, and this, this, there's a question, and I don't know if y'all can give me any insight on this. It was just something that kept coming up because people were so pissed off about this. Depend, you know, when one side was pissed off, another side was celebrating, and I was like, I don't think the state should be involved with any of that anyway. I'm not a, an, I don't agree with abortion, but I, I don't think the state should be involved. Period, whatsoever. But what I kept hearing with the, with the people that are upset with it, I saw it, man, I saw it so many times. If you okay with the Roe v. Wade's uh, decision, then you better be a, be ready to adopt these kids. If you're if you're going to hold that position, I'm like that seems a little extreme. Yeah, a little extreme. And then on the other side, I would see folks say, and I saw this more than once. For every one child ready for adoption, there are 32 families looking to adopt. Can y'all do? You, have y'all heard that? Is that something that 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 y'all familiar with, or is that just people just throwing stuff out there that is not true? I'm not, I'm I'm kind of curious because if that's the case, if there's 32 families ready to adopt for every one child that needs adoption, right? Then there's something going on that, that is causing them not to be adopted. And that I would have to assume if, if I mean, if that is true, then I would have to assume it's the state that is, that is prohibiting this from happening. So have y'all heard this? Amber, I'll start with you. So I don't know anything about whether or not that statistic is true. What I do know is that many people choose to adopt 
children from other countries because it's easier than working with our foster care system. It's just, I can only speak in my own experience. I know it's different from state to state, but there's like several months of classes and then you have all these background checks. They come into your home and make sure it's safe for the kids. And it took us a year just to get licensed. And then just, and we were never like, we were open to adopting at the time, but we didn't set out to do that. Being a school teacher. And then my parents had done foster care before any, me and my siblings were even born. So we'd always just kind of grown up as a being a normal part of our family history and what have you. But long story short, um, the rule, like the caseworker, we had kids for in our house for 13 months. We had um, two different sibling groups and each of those sibling groups had three different caseworkers in those, in that amount of time. And every caseworker told us this is okay. That's not okay. Um, you know, you can make the kid walk on the treadmill to get his energy out, but only if you're right there with them exercising too as a family thing, or, you know, it's fine to, um, you know, put them in their room if they're throwing a fit. No, it's not fine to put them in their room if they're throwing a fit. It's just like, we heard so many different things. And plus they are just literally all up in your business. They're checking your Facebook to make sure you don't post about the kids. They're checking like your conversations at school to make sure you don't tell anybody too much about them. Uh, you know, even if you're trying to get help, it's very invasive. And so that complicated by the fact that it takes so long to terminate parental rights. Um, they don't like if you, they don't want to separate sibling groups so that they'll like churn in the system for a really long time so that they can have them adopted by one family versus three separate families or something. It's, so as far as the state making an obstacle to adoption, I would say my experience with people I know that, yes, that's a huge, huge problem. Okay. But you're not familiar with that. You said you're not familiar with that, that stat that, you know, for every child, one child, there's 32 families. So No, I just saw it thrown out there like, yeah. Okay. Darren, what about you? Have you, have you seen this or is it, I mean, I think you and I've talked about this some, but I mean, is it, is this, are you familiar with that? Or like I said, or is it just something people are throwing out there? to kind of combat the other narrative that's going on with the people that are upset, you know, with, 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 with the, the decision by the Supreme court. I mean, are you familiar with it at all or? Yeah. I'm not that specific number, but generally speaking, yes. If, if you are wanting to adopt or whatever, whatever, I guess, if you want to adopt an infant, basically a newborn, there's basically waiting lists and for anything, and most people, when they're wanting to do that, will go the private adoption route rather than going through the foster care. There's places set up. We've got friends that have, that have done that in the past. Um, and I, I don't know much about that process specifically, but there's usually a waiting list. And um, it's it's more working with directly, like the uh, presumptive adoptive family working directly, with, being matched up with someone who's pregnant. and has said they want to give up their child. And so it's, like I said, there's like a waiting list and there's lots of people wanting to do that. And even within the foster system, they typically have no problem finding people or foster parents to take in infants as opposed to 
older kids or even sibling groups where you're dealing with teenagers or even preteens or that thing, uh, kids of that age, it's always more challenging in some respects dealing with older kids in foster care than it is with a newborn. Not to say there aren't challenges outside of a typical newborn with newborns in foster care because there is trauma. There's plenty of scientific studies showing that even if a child like like in our case, our our youngest was was born in care, and so but and we picked her up from the hospital two days after she was born, but she still suffers from some of the traumatic effects of what was going on with the birth mom at the time, just due to the fact that her, her older kids were in care and some of the other stuff that she had going on. Those effects are going to be real and physical and and have their physical effects on our youngest youngest daughter. Yeah, it's it is an issue. I, I to get back to your original question, I don't know about the specific numbers, but yes, I'm sure somewhere along those lines, each state's going to have different numbers, of course. But I'm sure there's a long list of people willing to adopt an infant versus those not wanting to do something for kids with the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision, all that stuff. Finding people to care for infants is usually not a problem. That that whole that whole Roe v. Wade thing was when I was watching all that go down, and the the arguments I saw people fighting with each other about on. I was like, y'all don't even understand what just happened. Not to get too far off topic, and but I'm going to say it here because anybody listening that is pissed off about the decision or celebrating the decision, the only thing that happened, they did not end abortion. That's not what happened. The only thing they did is sent the decision back to the states, which for once they follow the United States Constitution per the 10th Amendment. That's the only thing that happened because you could go to California and have as many abortions as you want, or you can go to Texas and not have an abortion. You know, so it's it's the the, the arguments were so asinine to me. And I was watching these people fight back and forth about it. And it seemed like and whenever whenever the, the state does something like that, the government does something like that. It's political football. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And the thing is that that's happening is you're putting real people's lives at stake here or their their feelings about this because it's they're trying to it's politics. I mean, they don't care. They don't care about you. They don't care about your kids. I don't know. Anyway, I don't, like I said, I don't want to get too far off topic. I just the whole arguments that I the, all the arguments I was seeing between folks and then man, social media can be such a dumpster fire sometimes. When it comes to stuff like this, you know, and I just wanted to grab them by their collar and say, listen, yes, they are manipulating you right now. This is what's going on. You're being manipulated because we're leading into what the midterms at the time of this recording. We're leading into the midterms. Everything that happens is for a reason. Everything that happens for a reason so they can keep you fighting and keep you arguing about this stuff. Anyway, I'm getting too far off topic. Jessica, have you heard this stat that I mentioned? Well, kind of like what they said, not that particular number. Um, and if I did, I didn't remember what the exact number is. But I mean, I would mostly agree with what Darren said in that there is usually people who will step up and either adopt or care for a newborn. I don't I don't know that that's an issue. I do know that there are a lot of people that are on waiting lists uh, to adopt a newborn. And, and like he said, they usually go a private route. Uh, you know, private adoption. Um, And some people wait on waiting lists for years. And I mean, you know, statistics can be skewed. Sometimes that's because maybe a white couple is waiting for a a white, healthy male baby. You know, um, it can be that can also be a reason that someone is on, you know, 
wants to adopt and hasn't yet. So, you know, a lot of things go into these blanket statistics that are thrown out. But like he said, um, you know, usually there are people willing and even wanting to adopt or care for babies. So infants, newborns. It's the older kids, the sibling groups, the teenagers, the kids maybe from an older traumatic background or who um, have already been pegged for bad behavior or, you know, uh, some kids who are born to parents and uh, that, you know, mom may have been on drugs. So the baby's having withdrawals um, or is born with health complications. Sometimes those, those are more the children who are needing people to step up and take care of and foster and adopt in those situations. Well, even if it's not 32 families, if even if it's 15 families waiting for, you know, or even if it's 10 families or five families for every one child, that's still a significant amount to me. The fact that there's a waiting list at all tells you that much. Yeah. You know, like I said, I'm so ignorant to this topic. I like having the conversation because I don't think the conversation's talked about enough. And we should probably revisit this again next year and talk about it and get updates on you guys as families and, you know, and, and what's going on with, with this stuff. But we could talk about it every week if we wanted to. What bothers me is I think, Amber, we talked about this a little bit in our last Zoom call for the, you know, out of the discussion group. And, and, I'm, and, and I got I got a little animated. I, I tend to do that sometimes because I get so frustrated with the church. I get so frustrated with Christians who want to outsource their stuff to the state when they should be doing that stuff to them, themselves. And maybe I don't I don't want to sound like a hypocrite. Like I said, I'm, I don't think I'm equipped to, <laughs> to adopt kids. I don't know. I've worked way too much and I'm single, so I don't have a spouse to kind of help with it. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to sound like a hypocrite when I'm saying the church really needs to take the lead and Craig's not doing anything about it. You know what I'm saying? So this is where I get, this is where I get frustrated with the church. Why are we not doing this as a church to take care of these kids and make sure that they are put into healthy and safe homes and outsourcing it to the state. And I told you all this before we started recording, I don't sitting in church. I don't think I ever heard this one time talked about. There was no programs in a church to talk about the adoption uh, system, none of that stuff. And Amber, you made a good point that because I mentioned, I said, I may have glossed over it. And you said, maybe me being single and no kids is why maybe it's talked about, but you didn't hear it. But you yourself said that you don't, you can't think about any time in church you've heard it talked about. Um, I used to lead worship for a Baptist church and that was the only time it was talked about. And it was always like an addendum to the main service because the Southern Baptist Church has, they work through the foster care system, but they have a training. They do training for people who want to get into foster care. And so it's it's not that they are exactly a part of a system, but they do work to help them complete that training and become approved to become foster parents. So it was just like, Okay, if you want to start, it's not actually where I took my classes, but um, it'd be like in in the announcements. Foster care classes are going to be starting at such and such a location, whatever. And that that was the extent of it that I ever heard. But it's not preached about. It's not there's there's no sermons about taking care of these kids and helping these children. It's always about getting your money. (laughs) Yeah. So I told you, I said, that's one reason I can't go to church because I sit there and judge. And then also I get preached at about tithing. I'm like, I don't need to hear about this. (laughs) I I stopped going, giving my money to a church long time ago and just giving it to charity because, you know, finding something that was important to me and, you know, something I kind of uh, have a soft heart for is the homeless, especially in the Memphis area, man, there's a bunch of homeless folks out here. And so there, but there's, there's a group that are called, uh, 
Michigan, Memphis, something or other, but they're doing great work with these folks, feeding them and, and housing them and stuff. And that that's the type of stuff that I try to get my money to because I don't really trust a church to handle. Churches and like any charitable organization, really, they waste so much money trying to do something good. I went to a church that's not my normal church this morning as a music minister. I'll do that sometimes. And it was a big drive to get behind missionary work, which is great. But uh, coming, get a candle off the stage and go light it and to show that you're going to, if you're going to fill out a pledge card. Well, those candles cost at least $3 a piece. There was a, at least 100 people that held the candle. Why not take that 300 bucks and give, <laughs> give it to one of the missionaries? Yeah. Oh. Or feed somebody. Right. <laughs> I like, mean, how do you, Darren, how do you look at that as far as, the church being involved or getting involved with it. I think we, we talked about it last time you were on the show as well, but you know, just kind of as, as a refresher, are you seeing it in your church or is this just something you came about, you know, you and your wife on your own? Yeah, I mean, the, the reason we got it, I mean, we, we've been open to it kind of like I think Jessica had said uh, with her story, we, we were always open to adoption. We've got family that has adopted internationally, one from China, one from Ethiopia. And then so we've always been open to it. And then through some infertility issues that we experienced and attempting to have kids on our own, we discovered it was going to be, it would take almost an, a direct intervention from God for us to have kids on our own. So that's why we ended up getting into it and kind of the ball started rolling there and we just kind of picked up knowledge as we stumbled along through this process. But um, the churches I've had any experience with as far as how they interact with foster care or adoption in general, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. There's some churches that are really, really big into it and have whole ministries dedicated with points of contact. If you're interested in foster care, see so-and-so after church or, or come to this uh, seminar, or learn about what you need to do, know to get started. Then there's other churches that kind of like uh, Amber said, it's an afterthought, hey, we're having this class. Thanks kind of thing. Our church is, I'd say it's probably middle of the road. Um, I know like, if I remember right, either October or I think November is Adoption Awareness Month. And we always do something each month. They say something on the, or each week during that month, they say something about adoption. And they'll even call out people in the congregation that they know are fostering and just kind of highlight them, that kind of thing. And so, um, but the, for me, the biggest thing is, the, the body of the church itself. I don't put too much emphasis on pastors being required to say stuff about it from the pulpit. I want the, the people to do something. I want people to get involved. You know, somebody that's either fostering or thinking about fostering, help them out, take them a meal, take the kids, give them some babysitting, give them an hour of respite during, during the week sometime. As any parent can tell you <laughs> those hours to yourself to just go out and get something done Instead of trying to get groceries when you got three or four or five kids tagging along with you, <laughs> you can imagine what that's like. Well, I mean, that's I, we did talk about that on the on the last episode about this, and be, and I think it's something in, or maybe you talked about it that just what you just said, the idea that the idea of adoption to somebody that's not interested in doing it, not knowing how to help, you know, what to do, could be so simple as buying them a box of diapers or babysitting their kids so they can go hang out, you know, go grab a beer or, or whatever they want to do, just kind of decompress, you know. Or just go hang out with them and be another adult present when there's eight children. 
That was my like my worst thing. It's like I could not go. You can't take eight kids to somebody's house and just visit. Yeah. Especially when two of them are behavioral and you never know if they're going to freak out. So come visit them. Even, you know, bring them a bucket of chicken, something. I think we make the issue like more complicated than it needs to be. And if you don't know how to help, you could do something as simple as that. And then Darren just said it. I mean, you don't understand how thankful, you know, <laughs> parents could be just to get a chance to go do something or just like Amber said, have an adult conversation with uh, somebody else other than kids. Yeah. Some the, the, the biggest thing like here in the Midwest where I am, I mean, everyone's heard the term Midwest nice. So, so it's like, like with me and my family where we got, <laughs> everyone knows our kids. As soon as Sunday school is out, you're going to see the three little black kids come charging out of the door at some point and they're going to be running around the congregation or <laughs> whatever. So you can imagine there's different reactions to that. Most of the people in our church are really good about it. They'll reach or kind of help corral them or say, Hey, how you doing? Like, I'm just kind of interact with them, that kind of thing. Then there's other people that are just like completely hands off. I don't want nothing to do with it. It's like, just, you don't need judgmental looks. You don't need people ignoring you. Reach out, give, give someone a hand, <laughs> grab, grab <laughs> one of the kids by the hand and say, Hey, what you doing? Come over here take a look at this. Just because the last thing a foster parent needs when they're struggling with kids is someone judging them saying, Oh, you obviously have problems. I'm, I'm going to go this way. I don't want nothing to do with that kind of thing. So. Or asking these stupid questions. Are they all yours? <laughs> yes. No. Well, my, my answer for that is clearly, don't they look like me? You <laughs> <laughs> would say the same thing. Yeah. I loved it when they would, you'd see them counting, and I always I had eight, right? So I always say, are there still nine? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. We're missing one. <laughs> Jessica, are you hearing this? Yeah, or when people throw out the, are they all yours? I'm like, no, I just went around the neighborhood and gathered up all the kids and said, hey, let's go to H-E-B, because that sounded like a lot of fun. This is what Jessica does for a good time, just goes around the neighborhood gathering up kids yep. and takes them to the grocery <laughs> store. I will say, though, as far as, like, so I'm a music teacher, and I had a children's choir and where we lived was a very rural community, very small town feel. And I had a number of people that just individuals, not as an organization, a church, just, oh, well, I went through my kids' clothes and I figured you could use them. So they just like, I'd come home and there'd be two trash bags of clothes on my porch. Um, one time I took them to sing in a church. And when we, by the, by the time we got home, because we would go eat lunch and then we'd come home. By the time we got back to the house, there was nine bags of school supplies <laughs> on my porch. As it was like August 1st that we had sang at the church and stuff. So on, on an individual basis, we got a lot of support that way. That's yeah. awesome. You know, so me picking on the church and I, I'm glad to hear these stories, you know, like Darren was talking about as well. And that way, maybe I'm maybe I shouldn't lump the entire church in it because there are folks actually doing something about this, and I, I we need to give them more, you know credit where credits due. But Jessica, are you seeing this in your church? You know, with this being talked about, or any other churches you might have been involved with? I have not, in general, seen it preached from the pulpit, um, and I have not seen a lot of now a church that I was involved in. Uh, on a fairly regular basis, helped out with uh, 
CASA, which is an organization that helps with kids in foster care. Um, you know, we helped at Christmas time and a- as a church, they promoted that. And um, so, I mean, I've seen things like that. Um, I know in my experience, uh, when I set out to or we set out to adopt, um, I was actually blogging at the time. So I was blogging this whole thing and the church as a entity, not a particular church, rose up because uh, to start the adoption process, uh, you had to have basically like earnest money. You had to put down so much money to make a commitment towards this child, which is the starting of the process um, to adopt a particular child. Well, we did not even have that. And so I just started writing and, you know, God brought it along. I mean, brought people along that um, now we worked our butts off. We had garage sales. I babysat. um, But people donated stuff. People um, donated money, donated their time, um, all kinds of things to help promote our adoption and the fundraising going into our adoption. And every penny of our adoption ended up being funded, you know, through donations and fundraisers and things like that. Now, the church that we were involved in at the time did not particularly support it as a a church. Now, some of the people did, um, but not the church. And in fact, some people in the church were very adamantly against uh, wanting my adopted kids to be in the church. And um, not long after... I got my kids home. We ended up leaving that church um, and getting involved in a different church, uh, which was very, very pro-adoption. The pastor had six adopted kids. um, The first two were sisters through foster care. And then the next four were um, infants through, you know, a private adoption agency. Um, Some with special needs. And several families in our church had adopted numerous kids. And so that church um, as a whole, when another family chose to adopt, that church did fundraisers. They set up a fun run at the church. They had garage sales at the church. They helped that family as a church um, do things to raise funds. So my experience with a particular church like this church of this name, this Baptist church, was not necessarily good where, and then the next experience was wonderful. Christians or Christ followers um, really helped a ton um, and were the reason that we were able to do what we did, you know, with, with that support. And a lot of it was people who wanted to adopt, but maybe they were too old or maybe some, you know, if you have health conditions that disqualifies you from being able to adopt, So I had a lot of people come to me um, with gratitude and very emotionally moved because this is something that maybe they wanted to do and were unable to do it. So they, um, you know, supported us through prayer and monetarily and bringing food and helping out with kiddos. And, you know, so that they did what they could do in regards to James 127, you know, uh, taking care of orphans and widows. So. I've got a couple questions. Um, one of y'all mentioned something about private adoption versus, you know, state adoption. And I'm kind of curious 
what what the difference is and if if there's private adoption is the state still involved somehow is it really private or, or are they still going to have their hands in it some way to kind of police it or, or whatever you know i don't know the right word to use but darren let me start with you maybe it was you that said something about private adoption so do you is there a difference between that and obviously there's going to be a difference i guess but is the state still involved in this private adoption in some fashion yeah if you're involved in adoption this the state's going to be involved somehow just because you're talking about legally changing names of, of a child, that kind of thing. So there's obviously paperwork and administrative stuff that's going to be involved, even if you go a completely private entity. So there's going to, have to be a lawyer and, and proceedings just from that perspective. But uh, just with our experience, the first time we got involved with foster care, when we adopted our, our older two girls, we went through Catholic charities at the time to get licensed. And there it was a mountain of paperwork to, to get through. And it was way more, I don't want to say invasive, but I mean, they asked a lot more and required a lot more personal information to document and everything. The second time when we got involved with foster care, we went straight through DCFS department of children, and family services through the state of Illinois. And it was much more, I'll, I'll say streamlined, even though I hesitate to use that term with anything involving the state, but it was much less, um, extra stuff going on. We still had to go through the licensing. We still had to take the basic classes and all that other stuff that I think Jessica mentioned having to go through. But it, the communication seemed to be a lot smoother for some reason the second time going directly through DCFS, knowing the rules and this, that, and the other thing. That being said, the state's involved in every aspect of it with us is being through DCFS. I mean, even with like vaccines and stuff like that, we when the state said got to have kids, what it was five five years and up when they whoever they were approved the 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 COVID shot for kids five and up, they basically said, all right, you got to get your kids five years old and up vaccinated. And I was just like, my wife and I have some disagreements in some of the areas of this stuff where I, I was like, I want to see this in writing before I go through this and. No, let's just do it because they're going to require it. And I mean, just, you know, the normal discussions that people have. So, but all that to say, the state is involved in an intimate degree in when we went through the foster care through DCFS versus when someone else goes through private. But regardless, in both scenarios, the state's going to be involved to a certain degree. You know, listening to that, and I've said this more than once, I don't know if I've said it on the show, but I've said it to a lot of folks, you know, that I know have kids. With that COVID stuff, if if I had children, I'd probably be in jail right now because I just don't – I can't imagine somebody coming in and telling me that I have to do this to my child and I'm not comfortable doing it. I guess that's a good reason God has not given me children because he doesn't want me to go to jail. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jessica, so was yours – your adoptions, was it private or was it through uh, this, the government of Ukraine? We used a facilitator, so it was not through an adoption agency. The facilitator um, made all the arrangements for us. They helped us with the paperwork. Um, they translated all of our paperwork from English to Ukrainian and then from Ukrainian back to English. Um, they handled um, all of the aspects like as a go-between, but it was not a private adoption. I got a question for you. I think I saw you mention this in one of your Facebook posts. Now, you say the facilitator. Didn't that guy end up 
in this Ukraine and, and Russia war somehow? Or did I did I misunderstand what you were talking about? Um, yeah, one of the facilitators, the, the lead facilitator um, on our adoption uh, was killed early on. I mean, he, he's a civilian. He was he wasn't killed. I mean, he stayed behind to fight, I guess. But um, right as everything broke out between, you know, Russia, Ukraine, there was some families in country adopting. So he helped them get out, you know, evacuate. And then he, he went back to Kiev and that he was killed there. I'm sorry to hear that. I saw, I, I think I, was, I remember you posting something about that on Facebook. And I just, I it just, I don't know. I just remembered that when you were talking about it a little bit. Um, this has been good stuff. I got one more thing. I want each of y'all to kind of break it down. If anybody listening to this is maybe is not interested in adoption, but if they want to help folks adopting, you know, kids and Jessica, let's start with you. What is something that would be that you think, and we've talked about a little bit, that they, they could do just it could be seem so simple that it would be huge to you, you know, as, as a mother to these children? So how, what is something they could do that would seem simple to them, but huge to you? Well, if you're talking about helping families who have already, you know, are adopted or have currently have foster children, I think the number one thing that has meant the most to me or encouraged me the most is not being judgmental, voicing your support. It doesn't have to be grandiose, but just say, you know, what can I do? I'm praying for you. Um, The advice is usually not well taken um, because, you know, at least for me personally, I'm not going to listen to advice from somebody who hasn't walked in my shoes. So um, th- those are the type of people that I go to for advice um, and, you know, not somebody who's never been where I've been, um, but just encouragement of people saying, I love you. Um, I'm praying for you. Uh, let me, you know, uh, we've had a lot of people uh, give us hand-me-downs. I love hand-me-down clothes. Um, and so that that's meant a lot. Um, and, you know, like Amber said, just showing up, you know, at one point I had, six kids ages seven and under and somebody just showing up to hang out with me during the day um, or help, you know, play with my kids or just be another adult to talk to. That meant a lot to me. Now, if we're talking about families who are in the process, if it's an adoption like mine that requires funds, anything involving fundraising or getting the word out um, was is extremely helpful. And I can't really speak to what a family in the process of trying to foster would need. But um, I know for in my experience, those were the things that meant a lot and mean a lot to me. Awesome. Amber? Of course, I agree with what Jessica said. This is always like a big bone of contention for me because so many people were like, that is so cool that you I could never do that because it would hurt too much to have to give them back. And I just want to say that if, if you're that person, suck it up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's not about you. These kids, like, think about what they go through. Think about that for a second versus your life and then actually consider it from that perspective. Um, outside of that, it's just, it's just like what Jessica said, just be supportive. As you can. Just ask, what can we do? And, you know, come fold laundry. That would help. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Man, if I could get somebody to come fold my laundry, I might have to get me a kid. (laughs) 
It better, it better get them over to fold my laundry for me because I can wash it and dry it all day long, but it could sit there in that laundry basket for days. <laughs> well, I've got eight and nobody's folding my laundry, so don't take that risk, Craig, if it's just for the laundry. <laughs> oh, that's that's not a good reason to go start adopting children so somebody can come fold my, fold my laundry. Oh. Maybe I should rethink that. The paycheck's not great either. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, what, is there something, you know, after what they just said, is there something you would suggest for folks that are wanting to help but aren't necessarily wanting to adopt themselves? Yeah, um, I like Amber said, I echo everything that both Jessica and Amber have said, especially about even just considering becoming a foster parent. I know that sounds, I consider myself an anarchist, but like I said before, as long as the system's going to exist, I want people who are following Jesus to be involved in it somehow to help these kids along at any point in time. Even if, like Amber said, if it's just a, a six month or three month, whatever it is, year long commitment, you're affecting the lives of these kids. That may be something that planting the seeds, I mean, you never know what those seeds are going to do in the future. So um, in addition to that, like I've mentioned a couple of times before, um, take somebody a meal. Take If you know have someone in your congregation or in your community that you know is fostering or adopting, freshly adopted, whatever, even, even newborns. I mean, I, I feel most churches and communities do a pretty good job of helping mothers and families when they have newborns, that kind of thing. But same thing goes for people when they get foster care, kids in place with them in foster care or adopting. It's really no different. You're all of a sudden you got a kid with you. And my wife, when we first got into this, the way she explained getting into foster care is it's like, you're jumping on a treadmill. that's running full speed. <laughs> you're just doing everything you can to hang on and get not fall down. That's that's what it's like. So anything you can do to help someone take a meal, stop by, take the kids to the park for an hour, whatever it may be, just the real feet on boots on the ground in the trenches, just get involved, be willing to get involved, be willing to get your hands dirty, I guess is basically what it boils down to me. As much as I like sleep, I think if I had uh, kids, I would want somebody to come over and hang out with them so I could go take a nap. <laughs> yep. Because I can imagine, you know, with having having children, that sleep is uh, at a premium <laughs> sometimes for for parents. I mean, I, I could see that. Thankfully, my cats like to sleep as much as I do, so we get along pretty well in that aspect. It's, uh, <laughs> that was a big part of mine not wanting to have in infants because I was like, odds are if they're older and school age, the same age as my kids, they're going to sleep through the night most of the time. And they did. They really did. So. It was great. Have you ever heard that phrase, sleep like a baby? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't even think that's accurate because then I heard somebody say, no, I want to sleep like that grandpa on the back pew of a Baptist church. <laughs> that's how I want to sleep. <laughs> yep. um, well, this has been good, dude. Uh, would Is there anything y'all have to plug? I'll give y'all the opportunity. If there's anything y'all are working on that you'd like folks to know about, maybe tell us now. If not, then I'll let y'all get out of here. I've got um, my fan page on Facebook, Amber Nelson's fan page. Uh, that's for my music, but okay, nothing to do with adoption or foster care. Darren? No, I really don't have anything. I mean, you can look me up on uh, Facebook or Twitter. I'm usually not too hard to find if you look in our circles. <laughs> so, you know, I was telling them it's funny. I guess, and, and I don't get on Twitter a lot because it's I don't understand it. I don't understand all the sub threads. It's just it's very confusing to me. So I don't pay it a lot of attention, but. I was telling them I get updates from Joe Biden for some reason on Twitter. 
and I don't have any idea why. <laughs> but then every once in a while, I'll get an update from Darren on Twitter too, something that you shared. So I don't know if maybe it's because I've interacted, and that's why I'm getting updates. I don't know, but could be. I finally, uh, I finally, with one of the Biden uh, things that I came across my phone, I finally went on. There's like, why am I getting updates from this lunatic? <laughs> why, why am I hearing from this guy? I don't want to. I don't, I don't care what this goofball saying i don't care why i don't even really think it's him it's whoever's pulling his puppet strings i think he's probably doing it handling his twitter account because i don't think he's smart enough to use a phone um <laughs> jessica do you have anything you'd like to let us know about i have five teenagers so just send me a prayer that's good yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes amen to that all right guys well i'm gonna let y'all get out of here i, I really appreciate the time to, you know, taking the time to speak with me and then having this conversation. We'll probably revisit this again sometime if y'all are interested and we'll, we'll just get some updates and something new pops up and we'll talk about it because I think this is a conversation we should keep having. You know, just keep talking about it and, and as, as small as our platform is, I'd like, to, I'd like to use it to get stuff like this out there for folks that are... And it's cool the messages we get that actually the people have latched onto it to, um, that have listened to like the previous episode about this. And that, that's... That's always encouraging to me. That means people are still yeah, listening. Definitely agree. At least. All right, guys, I'm going to let y'all get out of here. I got to get ready to watch some Dallas Cowboys here in a little bit. And wouldn't let Jessica can pick on me on Facebook about the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I'll be nice today. <laughs> Maybe. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. <laughs>